Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to the Word on Wednesday. Uh, We are so happy to be here once again to share with you from the Word of God. Uh, We have been traveling through 2 Samuel and looking at the life of a king. And in looking at his life, we discovered that David uh, made some mistakes and he is now walking in a curse. He's walking in a place that uh, he didn't have to go, but because of decisions that he made, he is—he um, and his family are suffering. They are suffering, and we're at a point in time where Absalom has just been killed in battle. Absalom got caught up in his, his pride, and we spent time talking about pride and Now we're seeing the aftermath of all that Absalom did. Uh, We're seeing the aftermath of all that David brought on his family when he um, walked outside the law, the word of God, and took Bathsheba as his wife. And it has just been one calamity after the next. And the thing that we talked about uh, shortly after he made uh, he 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 uh, killed Uriah and took Bathsheba as his wife is that uh, God will deal with our sins. He will atone for our sins, but we have to deal with the seed. And based upon the passage of Scripture uh, in Galatians, be not deceived. God is not mocked for. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. What we are seeing is David reaping for his sins. And it's just been tragic. Uh, We watched as his daughter got raped. We watched as Absalom killed Amnon. We watched as Amnon foments rebellion throughout the kingdom because he is, uh, uh, with satanic urges, has has taken and driven David from the king by seducing those in the kingdom. He has played uh, one person off the other person. He played the southern tribes off the northern tribes, and and by now there's taxation involved, and and he's basically saying to them that I could be I could do this better than you can, David. There's also the issues there of 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 not only just that of of taxation, but judgment, deciding who who would give favorable judgment. I mean, Absalom went through and just destroyed relationships within the kingdom. And so we went through all of that. And then there was the battle. And God in, in the midst of the battle. And how now Absalom is dead. And so we get to we get to cha- the the back half of chapter 18 is where we'll start and so just get your bibles and get there uh, I, before i get before we get in there before we get into it i want to um i want to pray 
and then I want to invite somebody who might not know Jesus to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then we'll get right in, into our lesson tonight. Is that all right with everybody? Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come, and we come to say thank you. We come to praise you. We come to bless you. You are good, and your mercy endures forever. And so, Father, tonight as we come and we bless you and we praise you, we come looking to feast on your word. Father, but we can't comprehend unless you open up our minds. We can't hear unless you unstop our ears. And so, Father, we ask you to touch us tonight. Touch us that we might see. Touch us that we might hear. Help us to understand. Expose to us areas that perhaps we're doing good in and areas that perhaps we need to, to, to repent and tighten up a little bit. Expose to us the heart places in our heart that need to be broken up. Oh, God, help us tonight. Help us tonight understand because the fate of Absalom is not our fate. You called us to life, and we don't want to be deceived or tricked out of our life. We don't want to be deceived or tricked out of relationship with you. We don't want to be deceived and tricked out of relationship with each other. So, Father, help us today. Help us to understand and not only understand your word, but to do your word by faith. God, we bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what I want to do is I want to um, say to somebody out there and give them this, this, this wonderful message, this wonderful message, and the message is this, your sins are forgiven. You might be walking around feeling all guilty and bad and, and thinking, boy, if I died today, I wonder where I'd go. Or you might even have already pronounced death on yourself, saying, if I die, I know I'm going to hell. That does not have to be your lot. Because Jesus died for your sins, and because he died for your sins, if you believe that he is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, then you can be saved. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he died for the sins of all mankind. And so since he already paid for it, you don't have to pay no more. But what you do have to do is you have to accept that gift that God has given you, his son. And how do you accept that gift? First of all, you have to believe. And secondly, you have to receive. You have to repent. What does repent mean? You have to turn from your, the way of life that you have right now, depending on yourself, and look to Jesus. You have to begin to follow him. So, what, so, so okay, I understand all the fancy stuff you're saying. So what does that mean? That means this, that if you believe it and you're ready to receive it, then you must confess it. That's your, that's your act of faith. Your confession is your act of faith, and it has to come from the heart. It has to come from, from your will. It has to come from your place of decision. And if you've decided that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for your sin, here's your act of faith. All your act of faith is, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I 
ask him to be my savior. That's it. Sit right there. You have confessed that Jesus is the Son of God. You asked him to be your savior. And you are saved. But then there's one more thing I need you to do. Because I've just given you the clip notes version of salvation. I want you to go and I want you to find another Christian, a church, a pastor, somebody, and just tell them, I confess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and I'm saved. Now I got to, now what's my next steps? And what they'll do then is they will take the time to help you to understand salvation and they'll help you to understand how you live a saved life. What am am I supposed to do? What does it mean to be a child of the king? What does it mean to be a child of God? And they'll walk you through all of that. And and as they walk you through, they'll also help you begin your new life in Christ. That's what I need you to do. Confess and then go find somebody to help you the rest of the way. Amen? And if you've done that, if you've done that, let me be the first to welcome you into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Welcome, brother. Welcome, sister. Okay. So now, let's begin our lesson tonight. And what I'll need you to do is I'll need you to open your Bibles uh, or open your um, iPad. So, you know, you know them things. Y'all got, y'all got all the fancy stuff. You know, open your Bible, open your uh, uh, Apple phone. What is, is that what they call them? Whatever you got. Whatever you use for your Bible, open it up to Second uh, Samuel chapter 18, and we're going to start at verse 18. I'm going to I'm going I'm to provide a little runway for us so we could. Oh, she said, so my wife tells me a tablet. Okay, fine. You know, I don't, I use books. I'm old fashioned still. Okay, but. I'm going to give you a little runway so you can catch up with us, and then we're going to go jump right in. So what has happened here is Joab has just killed Absalom, and they've thrown him into this pit and literally buried this guy. And now it's time to make a transition. And so at verse 18, it says, During his lifetime, Absalom had taken a pillar and erected it in the king's valley as a monument to himself, for he thought, I have no son to carry on the memory of my name. He named the pillar after himself, and it is called Absalom's Monument to this day. That is the culmination of pride. Absalom built a monument to himself. And so, you know, you say, well, we, we kind of, you know, what's wrong with that? We take pictures, we go to studios, we get fancy portraits made because we want people to see how we look. We want people to remember us in a certain way. And it seems like this is all Absalom is doing. No. This is the culmination of the pride of Absalom. He builds a monument. He memorializes himself by way of a monument. He built himself an idol. Absalom, all of his behaviors, 
all of his behaviors have lead us to understand that Absalom was a god unto himself. Absalom, in making himself a god, has violated the command of God. An idol is, is a forbidden man-made symbol. An idol is, uh, is, is not to be, excuse me, i got to do some things to get my notes from under here. I have my notes jammed a little bit. An idol is something that we build that replicates a god. Idols are worshipped. Idols are, 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 are become the focus of our attention, and Absalom has made himself into one. And tonight, one of the questions that we have to, to explore is, have we made ourselves an idol? Now, in Exodus chapter 20, and you can flip over if you want to. You should know it by heart. Uh, but in Exodus chapter 20, the first thing, one of the first things that God tells us, according to his law, is what? Turn it, Exodus chapter 20 real quick. Uh, verse 3. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What Absalom has done throughout his entire throughout the entire time that we've studied him is he has taken and violated the word of the Lord, the commandment of God. How do, what are you saying? Every time that we examine his behavior, what is he doing? He is disregarding the word of God and he's doing it his way. And two or three weeks ago, what did we show? We showed the parallel between the fall of Absalom and the fall of Satan, the behavior of Absalom and the behavior of Satan. And the learning that we can get from the life of Absalom is this, that we don't want any idols in our lives up to and including ourselves. And so how do you avoid that? When the word of God says X, we don't do Y. When the word of God tells us to do something, that's what we do. Anytime that you do not obey the word of the Lord, Anytime that you make a decision contrary to what God has commanded or God has said to you, what you are doing is you are literally saying, uh-uh, I know better than you, God. I'm smarter than you. I don't have to do what you say. 
And what literally you are elevating your word above the word of God, and you have made yourself into a God, and then you begin to bow to yourself, and it's really Satan stimulating you. Mm -hmm. That's that's literally the devil sneaking in, doing to you what he did to Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden, twisting the word of God or inciting the willfulness within us to go against God, and we literally have made ourselves into idols. Oh, that, that, that is it. and this is what Absalom did. And the only difference between what he did and what we do is most of us, most of us have not built monuments unto ourselves. And I just thought of something. Let me grab something really, really quick, and I'm going to show you how easy it is to build a monument to yourself. Hang on, just for a hot second. I'm back. You want a good laugh? Absalom built a monument to himself. I just thought about this. You see what this is right here? This is a bust of me that I had made in a, in a store one day, just playing around. My wife and I refer this, to this as the head of the house, and we laugh about it. But sometimes we get so caught up into our vanity, <laughs> it, but it's not the head of the house. No, we just, we just tease with that, okay? We just tease with that. It is not the head of the house. We tease with that thing. But this is literally, this is literally a bust of me that I, I think I might have paid $5 for. And so when I got to this passage, I'm like, boy, was I being vain that day? Was I stuck on myself? And this is the funny part about it, okay? This is the real funny part about it. Guess what else I did? I didn't have one of them made. I had one made for myself. I had one made for my wife. And I had one made for each of my children. I don't know what they did with theirs, but they probably threw it in the garbage can. But literally, this is how how crazy we can get. But most of us don't go to that extreme, but we begin to worship ourselves. We begin to worship our greatness. It begins to be one of them things where I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other. And the reality of it is this. In him we live, move, and have our being. It's not us. It's in him. So we, as we go through the rest of the night, we have to make sure that we check ourselves concerning whether we have made ourselves in the God. And the easiest way to check yourself is check yourself against the word of God. Check what God has said and check what you do. Mm-hmm. Let's go, let's go uh, to the next verse. Verse 19, now Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, said, let me run and take the news to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the hand of his enemies. You are not the one to take the news today, Joab told him. You may take the news another time, but you must not do so today because the king's son is dead. Now, let me stop right there. Why is Joab so concerned about Ahimaaz, because remember the king had said, 
don't do Absalom any harm. And he knows that he has violated the word because Joab himself killed Absalom. And so now he knows that when the king finds out that his son is dead, Joab is scared of the reaction of the king. Because each time that we visited the king with some news, and even when we thought the news was good, the king responded in a way that was detrimental to the health of the messenger. Remember that Amalekite that, was, that came up in there with Saul's head, thinking that he was going to get a reward? He did. Remember the two, uh, um, the two gorillas that basically killed Ishbosheth? And they ran to David because they thought they were going to secure a position within his administration. And David killed him. Well, here this boy is getting ready to give David some news that should be welcome because the rebellion has been put down. And Joab, knowing David and knowing David's command and knowing David's concern for Absalom, tells Ahimehaz, who is Zadok's son, who is, who is on, the, on, on the council with David now, who's on the part of his war council, what does he do? He tells him, he says, uh-uh, boy, you ain't running nowhere. You stay here. Let somebody else do it. And then watch what he does. He says, uh, verse 20, I'll read verse 20 again. You are not the one to take the news today, Joab told him. You may take the news another time, but you must not do so today because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to a Cushite, ain't that nothing? Ain't that nothing? He's, basically, Joab said, he's disposable. Go tell the king what you have seen. The Cushite bowed down before Joab and ran off. Ahimehaz, son of Zadok, again said to Joab, come what may, please let me run behind the Cushite. But Joab replied, my son, why do you want to go? You don't have any news that will bring you a reward. See, Joab knew what was going on. He said, he said, come what may, I want to run. So Joab said, okay, run. Then Ahimehaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. While David was sitting between the inner and outer gates, the watchman went up to the roof of the gateway by the wall. As he looked out, he saw a man running along. The watchman called out to the king and reported, and reported it. The king said, if he is alone, he must have good news. And the man came closer and closer. Then the watchman saw another man running, and he called down to the gatekeeper, look, another man running alone. The king said, he must be bringing good news too. The watchman said, it seems to me that the first one runs like Ahimez, son of Zadok. He's a good man, the king said. He comes with good news. Then Ahimez called out to the king, all is well. He bowed down before the, before the king with his face to the ground and said, praise be to the Lord your God. He has delivered up the men who lifted their hands against my lord the king. The king asked, is the young man Absalom safe? Ahimez answered, I saw great confusion just as Joab was about to send the king's servant and me. 
your servant, but I don't know what it was. The king said, stand aside and wait here. So he stepped aside and stood there. Then the Cushite arrived and said, my lord the king, hear the good news. The Lord has delivered you today from all who rose up against you. The king asked the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? The Cushite replied, may the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up to harm you be like that young man. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. What David has done here is he has abdicated his responsibilities as a king. He has placed the welfare of his son above the welfare of the kingdom. His responsibility was to rule the kingdom. He is king over all of Israel. But because of his love for his son, and it really and he really didn't love his son, because had he loved his son, he would have disciplined his son. But there is no discipline for 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 Absalom. Absalom was a loose cannon. Absalom was allowed to grow wherever his pride took him. And one of the things that, that we find out is not only had Absalom made himself an idol, but David made himself an idol and is guilty of idolatry. Because he placed the welfare of his son above the welfare of his kingdom. And he bent to the will of his son rather than the bowing to the word of the Lord. There was a prescription, there is a prescription that should have been applied to Absalom for the offenses that he made. Absalom was supposed to be dead after he killed his brother. Death was the penalty for murder. Absalom should have been dealt with right then and there. Absalom was supposed to be dealt with when he built that idol. The penalty is death. Absalom should have been dealt with like he was dealt with by dying for the for rebellion. But when we place, when David places his love for his son above the obedience that God required, when David fails to apply the give him the necessary 
uh, uh, training and then also uh, apply the necessary punishment, not discipline, punishment. Let me define discipline real quick. Discipline and punishment are two different things. Discipline might involve a little punishment, but when the Bible talks about discipline, the Bible is literally talking about training. The Bible does not, you know, every, you, you, you see the spell of rod thing in there. But when God, is, when, when God talks about discipline, what he's doing is he is teaching, he is training, he is instructing us in righteousness. That's the discipline that God employs. We, with our Western mentality and our slave background, uh, equated discipline with beating. And so that's why we, as we grew up, some of us, especially me when I was growing up, that's why we had a tendency to go get switches and extension cords and put the date of the month on people and beat the black off somebody and all of that. That came from not only a slave mentality and the way we were disciplined in slavery, but that also comes from a misunderstanding of biblical discipline. Amen? Do you understand that? And so what David was supposed to do was David was supposed to, to get that boy to the side, and he was supposed to tell him, this is the way we do it. We don't do it that way. And every now and then, if it takes a swift kick in the pants to get him to get right in the right lane, fine. But when you got to punishment, punishment, whole new thing. And you don't want no, new, no, no Old Testament punishment. You don't want any New Testament punishment because punishment is equated with judgment. And sometimes you got, you got the 39 minus 1 lashes. Other times you got ostracized from the community. But then other times you got the death penalty. That was the punishment. Sometimes you had to pay it back, whatever it was. But it, discipline and punishment, two separate things. And David loved this boy so much that David literally makes an idol out of Absalom, and David is guilty of idol worship. Mm -hmm. What about you and your kids? And I know we love our kids. Oh, God, I love my children. Yes, I do. But the expression of a true father or a true mother's love toward her children is to make sure that they are trained properly in the ways of the Lord. And sometimes it's, you know, I, I would rather I would rather man train me as a man and as a boy. I would rather be trained by another man than by a woman. I'm just telling the truth. Because you women can repeat yourself over and 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 over again. Whereas with a man, we're going to say it once, we're going to say it good. We might say it a second time. And then we're going to do something that's going to adjust the hearing. And then 
We got what we need out of that son. Now the daughters, I don't, I'm not good at training daughters because all they got to do is bat their eyes or cry or whatever they do, and I'm like, oh, let me go and do it for you. You, but oh, women, when when you get trained by a woman, and I got trained by a woman, by the way, wee, I still remember what she said. But anyway, let's keep going. We have to train them. David's priorities are out of order, and it shows when God brings deliverance to the kingdom and places judgment on his son. He is grieved, and instead of them being able to rejoice in victory, David's behavior turns victory into mourning because his priorities are so messed up concerning his kids, and the kingdom that he can't see what's going on. So uh, let's pick up right at uh, verse 19. Excuse me, chapter 19. Joab was told, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. And for the whole army, the victory that day was turned into mourning. Because on that day, the troops heard it said, the king is grieving for his son. The men stole into the city that day, as men still in, who are ashamed when they flee from battle. The king covered his face and cried aloud, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. His vision of, uh, of, of uh, well, excuse me, let me say it again. By misplacing his priorities and having his love for the loss of his son overwhelm him, he's now in a, in a state of grief. And let me tell you what grief is. Grief is the suffering of physical, emotional, and mental pain. And grief often is accompanied by loss or outrage or some type of personal failure. And David is literally, instead of being able to, to, to rejoice in his victory, he's been overcome by this, this grief, this, this great sense of loss, and he's suffering. Look, look at the statement that he made. Oh, my son Absalom, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. David is at a point where he's so despondent that he is basically saying, it would have been easier for me to die than to live with the death of my son. My idol is dead. But we need some people around us every now and then that's going to shake us out of our stupidity and help us get a new perspective. And in this passage, that person is Joab. Verse 5, Then Joab went into the house to the king and said, Today you have humiliated all your men. That, that word humiliated mean, this basically means that, that he has made his men feel shame when they should have felt proud. 
He's made his men feel like they were cowards and did something wrong because in the preceding passage, it says like we ran from the enemy instead of overcoming the enemy. And then he says to them, he says, today you have humiliated all your men who have just saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and concubines. You making the folk that just brought about your deliverance, you making the people that just brought about, the, uh, that helped save you and save your family, you making them feel bad. What you need to be doing is you need to be patting them on the back and making them feel good. And look what he says. He says, you, hate, you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. There, he's basically saying, um, you have affection for the person that hated you, that showed himself to you and was trying to take your life. You got affection for them, but those who have, uh, and you hate the ones that love you. And when he uses the, one, the word hate there, he says, those who have no desire to have a relationship with you, those who oppose you, the enemy of you, that's the one you love. There's a word there. I ain't going to expose it yet. Hang on to that thought. You have made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean nothing to you. I see that you would be pleased if Absalom were alive today and all of us were dead. Now you go out and encourage your men. I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will be left with you by nightfall. This will be worse for you than all the calamities that you have come upon that have come upon you from your youth till now. So the king got up, took his seat in the gateway. When the men were told the king is sitting in the gateway, they all came before him. Now Joab just slaps him, as they say, went in there and slapped him with some words and made reality real to him and show and basically showed him, look how you're treating your men. Look how you're treating us. Do you not realize that you just ran all the way over here to Manaheim and all of these people came and followed you and now they've fought for you and they've been loyal to you and Absalom rebelled against you and now you're going to be on his side? Man, you crazy. If you don't go out there and fix this, you think you done had a hard life. You ain't seen nothing yet. Because what you're doing in it is you're opening yourself up to more calamity. And David hears, and he basically relents and goes out and he begins courage his men. And when you encourage somebody, what you're doing is literally building them back up again. You're building them Rather than grinding them down, you're building them up. And that's why encouragers in the kingdom of Christ are so important because sometimes we have people around us who have been humiliated, who have been discouraged, who, who are depressed, and we as brothers and sisters in Christ must know how to, to build them back up, to encourage them, to speak a word that makes them lift their head up. Because God is the lifter of the head, but we are the hand that, help, that lifts up the head. We're God's hand. And so 
next time you see somebody that's not smiling or look like they're having a hard day, encourage them, build them back up. The devil's discouraging them. Go up to them and say, ooh, I like your hair. Or, oh, you're such a pretty person. Or, oh, man, I've been looking for you. I'm glad to see you. Bless you. Do something to build them up. It's, the devil is constantly trying to tear us down. But God wants us to build each other up. So now, let's get to the meat of the lesson. Question. Are we guilty of idolatry? Absalom became guilty of idolatry because of his pride. We discussed that. And the question then becomes, has pride allowed us to disregard the word and place ourselves above God? You know, and I've already said it, when we place ourselves first and above, we commit idolatry. True disciples, true disciples place God above all. They understand the commandment that we read earlier in Exodus 20 and 3. Number one, God first. No other God before him. No idols. And if you look through, especially through the Old Testament, What's one of the things that constantly happened? You go, what was one of the things? They get in trouble, and what's the first thing they had to do? Go destroy all your idols. Go destroy all of those things that you are putting above me, beside me, around me. There is no other God beside me. And then the question for you is, so where your idols and do you have to destroy them? Do you listen to somebody else's opinion and especially somebody from the world who seems smart and and you say to them, you know what? They right. I'm going to try their way, disregarding God's way. And the 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 subtle trick of the enemy is to say, well, that was that, that was the rules back then. But, you know, now we're in, it's, we're in a different time. And so this is, the, this is a better way to do it, and we're going to get better results. Don't you fall for that. That's the same trick. That, that's, a, that's the oldest trick in the book. That was the first trick in the book. What did, he, what did, what did, what did, what did the serpent say to Eve? He know that when you eat that fruit, you're going to be like God. He's trying to keep you from being better. This is the better way. That's the same trick. Only he, as I say, he just put it in a different package. And so the question for you is, which one of those tricks did you bite on? We're always talking about Eve ate the apple, and Adam ate the apple, and we're arguing over trivial stuff when we got bushel baskets full of apples that we're eating, apples of disobedience. And so I'm questioning and asking you to question yourself. I ain't judging you. Mm-mm. Got too much stuff of my own to deal with. But I'm asking you to ask yourself and to search yourself, and better yet, ask God to search you, and you ask him the question, God, do I have any idols? Have I placed myself in a position of idolatry? Have I placed my children or my, my needs or whatever it is above you? 
take a look. And you, you might say, well, Pastor, now you, you kind of, you kind of pushing it. You kind of stretching it. Turn to Luke chapter fourteen. I know we're in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. but let me show you. Let me show you the same thing that I've just just taught in uh, uh, in Second Samuel eighteen and nineteen. I'm going to show you how Jesus says it in chapter fourteen of Luke. I know y'all there already because y'all got y'all tablet and y'all and just swirled up and all that kind of stuff. Chapter 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything, he cannot be my disciple. Here is the principle of putting God first illustrated by Jesus. What does he say? He says, if you do not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. Now, the translation of this word hate in the NIV does not convey the meaning of what Jesus was saying. That word is better translated prefer, meaning that, The priority is Jesus first. The priority when it comes to your children or your husband or your mother or your father, they get a lesser place when it comes to Jesus. When it comes to you and your will and what you want to do, all of this is suborned to Jesus. Is Jesus first, his way first, what he's doing first, that is what it costs to be a disciple. You must be willing to reprioritize your life, making Jesus first, making his word sovereign, making his word the rule of your life. Mm-hmm. Not your mama, not your husband. Nobody comes above the word of God. No, no will is above the will of God. That's what, that, that's what he's saying here. 
And that's the mistake that we see in uh, 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 in the relationship between uh, David and Absalom. Second thing we need to see out of tonight is our failure to teach our children shows not shows hatred. We think a lot of times that we're really loving our children by allowing certain them to do certain things, and it's, and those certain things that I'm talking about are things that are contrary to the Word of God. When we do that, we're not showing them love. Mm-mm. We're showing them hatred. Look, look at Proverbs 13. I'm in good shape. Proverbs 13. But let's start there real quickly. You want to you want to make an idol out of your kid? You want you want them to go the way of Absalom? Don't teach him the word. Proverbs 13, chapter, uh, verse 24. Look at what it says. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Now, when we're talking about the rod, it is a rod of correction. So every now and then, you know, you got to nudge him back in the line. But it ain't that beaten thing. No, it's not that beaten thing. Sometimes it's just you know, you know, and although we talk we we talk a lot about um, how our parents and you know our forefathers used to beat and get beaten and they beat us with extension cords and stuff, you know there were certain dis- there were certain ways that 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 our parents could discipline us, okay? That was in line, that was was exactly what we needed. You ever had your ear pulled? Just walk up to you and you going you going in the wrong direction. And they just grab your ear and just yank it and pull it. Ooh, that when you pull your ear, your head go with it. Or have you ever had somebody, your mama, or somebody just walk up to you and just pinch you? Oh, what that'll get your attention real fast as they talk to you while they were pinching you. Ugh, see, those are not beatings. Those are just I'm gonna get your attention on this. Just a suggestion. I don't, you know, I'm not pulling nobody's ear, pinching anybody, but that's that's an idea. Okay, go to Proverbs 19, verse 18, quickly. Okay, yeah, I got I got to move now. 19, verse 18. What's it say? Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. How many boys? How many boys get killed every day? And maybe they catch the guy, maybe they don't catch the guy. But why is a 15-year-old child out at 2 o'clock in the morning? Where is his mama and daddy at? Why is a 13-year-old girl out at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning? There is, I don't call that a lack, just a lack of supervision. I call that a lack of discipline. And those parents hate them children because they are not training them children. Okay, I'm going to stop. Discipline, when you discipline, when you teach your children, when you insist that they learn the word and the ways of God, you're showing them love. 
when God is disciplining you, and some of us are in some tight places of training, he's showing how much he loves us. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. It's important that, that, that we that we really understand what God is doing with us and what, what God is saying to us, even right now uh, as we train our children and are being trained as children because we are the children of God. Uh, Hebrews chapter t- uh, 12. Somebody, somebody, somebody moved Hebrews in my Bible. I know where it's at. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, it says, And you have forgotten that word of encouragement. Ooh, wow. See how how he starts that verse out? And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. God teaches the ones that he loves. If you go into, and as as God is teaching and training you right now, if you go into Luke chapter 6, guess what? One of the no, well, I mean, yeah, it's about six, I think. One of the things that you'll find out is that God has opened up your eyes, opened up your ears, and given you the privilege of learning, given you the privilege of being disciplined, given you the privilege of being taught by the Holy Spirit, given you the privileges of being even disciplined by the Holy Spirit by making you feel convicted when you move in the wrong direction. That's the privilege of a son. That's the privilege of a daughter. That's the privilege of every child of God to be disciplined by God as he shows his care and concern for us. So so when we're being disciplined, when God is doing something in our lives, when he's straightening and correcting and molding and making, we shouldn't be grumbling and complaining. We should be saying, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Because you love me. Because you love me. Those that reject the discipline, go back to Proverbs chapter 10. I'll show you something. I'm going to go real quick through this next little second. Proverbs 10, if I can flip my Bible quick enough. Verse 17. He who heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. When we disregard the teachings of God, we lead, not, we're not only walking toward death, but we're leading other people, we're taking other folk with us. When we don't lead our families correctly, when we don't 
teach our children correctly. What are we doing? Uh, go to flip over to uh, 12, Proverbs 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction. I didn't say this. This is the word that's saying this. He who hates correction is stupid. He said it, I didn't. Finally, go back to Hebrews. Discipline is never fun. Discipline is never fun. Look at 11, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. When God disciplines us, it might be painful for the moment, but it will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. Discipline, the teachings of God, produce righteousness and peace for those who accept it. But for those who reject it, they just stupid. So let me cap it real quick. Are you building an idol? Are you your idol? Tear that idol down. Renounce it. Are you a, are, are your idols your children? Are you raising some little Absalons? Get on the case. Get on your knees first and repent of it. And then go back and say, okay, God, how we turn this thing around? Because we don't want to do it mean. We don't want to do it with hatred. We're disciplining in love. We're teaching in love. We're correcting in love. When we teach and correct our children properly, when we allow ourselves to be taught and corrected properly, what we're doing is we're giving and receiving the love of God. We're tearing down those idols. We're making sure those idols never get built up. We're making sure that we don't create and Absalom, who will come and try to wreck the kingdom. What I want to say to you tonight, boy, we can learn a lot from, from David's troubles with Absalom. And I pray tonight that you've learned. I pray that you'll go back over the scriptures, that you will then begin to, to go before God and find out exactly where you are in everything. And I hope that it helps you understand what God is doing in your life right now. Let's have a word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you that you have answered our prayers already. You opened our ears up. You opened our hearts up. You opened our eyes up, and you now allow us to see and hear. You've given us the privilege of kingdom teaching. We repent right now for being an idol and making idols. We repent right now and confess, O oh God, that sometimes we do take your word in vain. We don't do what you say do. We're not instant in obedience. But we thank you for your mercy and your grace. And even right now we ask your forgiveness for that which we have done. O oh God, please be patient with us and continue to train us, continue to lead us and guide us, that we might produce fruit fit for the kingdom and that we might participate and reap 
a harvest of righteousness and peace in our lives. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's been a wonderful time to be with you tonight. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, we're doing a lot of things to to try to improve some things that we've done, that we're doing. You'll see some changes probably within the next month or so that that will we hope that will be a blessing to you and a blessing to the kingdom. God bless you and may God keep you. Thank you for showing up tonight and thank you for participating in this word. Now go back and and treat it like it's day old spaghetti. Go back, you know how day old spaghetti get better the second day. Go back to it again and enjoy it yet again. This is Pastor Winfred Burns with The Word on Wednesday, and I will see you again next week. Be blessed and have a wonderful, wonderful evening.